Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome to Grass Talk Radio. Today I'm sort of just freewheeling it. I had a really what I thought to be brilliant idea that should be, as I say, fully fleshed out in a podcast. But I've decided that I need to think on it some more before I unleash my ideas onto the world. So I just sort of parked that on the side, and I thought, what am I going to do today? Well, you, the listener, has solved that for me because I think the Q&A episode that I did back, I don't know, a couple episodes ago, uh, you know, put the suggestion in folks' minds that, hey, you know, I'll send Brad an email and ask him a question. And look, don't get the wrong impression. I want you to do that. But it, it just happens that those emails came in while I was also dealing with a whole bunch of other things, such as filing my taxes and uh, car problems with my wife's car. Like, Let me tell you something. I don't understand why when something works perfectly well for, I don't know, 75 years, why it needs to be changed. Okay, and what I'm talking about is the brake, the parking brake on your car. Most cars either have a foot pedal that you stick your left foot on and you cram it down to the floorboard, and that lever pulls a cable that runs to the back wheels and it splits into a kind of a Y formation and a cable goes to each wheel and yanks usually one of the brake shoes against the brake drum and that is parked. And then when you want to release it, there's some sort of little ratchet type thing that you punch it and the pedal releases. Or if it's between the front seats in most little foreign cars, there's a lever and you pull up on it. You yank up on it and you hear it. You hear the little ratchets going tick, 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 tick. And when you reach the top, you're pulling that cable. This ain't rocket science, folks. And when you want to release it, you pull up a little bit and you push the button on the end and you let her down. That's it. Go watch that Wallace and Gromit. When Wallace and Gromit go to the moon, uh, Wallace builds a rocket ship to go to the moon. I love this scene. I may have this little video clip somewhere. They're in the rocket ship. He jumps out, lights the fuse. (laughs) Because, of course, it has a fuse. And they're ready to go. And the the rocket alights. And it's like 10,000 tons of, of... thrust and the thing is vibrating and vibrating but it's not lifting up it's not lifting off the the launch pad from his garage and the dog gromit snaps his fingers like got it and he reaches down and lets off the parking brake with the little lever he pushes the button and lets it off and they're off to the moon that system has worked why do they have to change it why, why do we now have to have a push-button, electronically actuated parking brake system? We don't need this crap. So, the other day, I'm taking my son to school, 
in my wife's car and I accidentally pushed the little button called brake. Well, that through some electronic system and some solenoid and a motor perhaps, or I don't know if it's hydraulic linkages. I don't know what it is. You hear a little burp and now the brake is on. Well, I didn't know how to take it off. Every time I punched the button, it just put it on. It wouldn't release. So I fool around for a while, and I realize I can grab the button and pull up, and it releases. Do I really, really need an electrically controlled parking brake when the old cable works just fine? It outlives most cars. I mean, it is true the cable can rust and eventually break and so on but it usually outlasts the, the rest of the car. But anyway, got this thing. So she gets in the car this morning and gets ready to leave. And the parking brake is on. It won't go. The car won't go. You know, put it, put it in drive and it just won't go. And of course, it's saying idiot lights coming, flashing all over the place. P with an exclamation point. P, P, park, park, park is blinking. Like, what is going on? Well, turn the car off and start it again. Fiddling with the, you know, on off of the parking brake. Can't get the stupid thing. to, re- And then suddenly it just releases. Huh. Oh, well, honey, have a nice day. And she cautiously drives away. I don't get it. But it's stuff like that. Stuff like that and filing taxes. That's been my week. But rather than get into the idea that I thought about and that rooster is crowing like crazy he is very happy let me tell you something about the chickens this is funny my wife ordered some vitamins or something and it was going to be delivered ups well she gets an email from the ups delivery system where the driver has sent her a note attempted to deliver your package couldn't approach the house because of the chickens. <laughs> so I, I don't know if the rooster was out that day or whether it was just the hens walking around. I don't know, but this guy was scared of chickens. I could understand him being scared of the dog, you know. I, I see that a lot. The UPS guy will pull up, especially if it's a new guy, you know, somebody filling in around Christmas or something. They pull up and the dog runs out barking and carrying on. She's just happy to see somebody. And and the UPS guy will like put the package in a giant plastic bag and tie it on it and throw it out the window and drive away. He's not getting out of that car. But I've never heard of it with a chicken. That's pretty funny. And uh, anyway, so a lot of weird stuff going on like that. But I wanted to, let me just do a little house cleaning and talk about a couple of these emails that I've received because it's possible that you have the identical same question, same logic I used in the last Q&A. You may have the exact same question and just haven't taken the time to email me. So here we go. Uh, The first one I want to do, this is kind of interesting. So I get an email from a guy named Drew and Really, the only reason I'm mentioning this at all is just to thank him and to, I've got a great deal of respect for his creativity. 
Drew sends me an email and says, you know, basically, I'm paraphrasing. I don't have his email up in front of me. Love the podcast. Get a lot out of it. Blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, wanted to say thanks. And I have a McClung ebony mandolin armrest and a Frank Ford built mandolin peg winder rosewood handle and I was going to sell them on Madeline Cafe and I thought you know what if you want them Brad I'm going to send them to you to say thanks for Grass Talk Radio now how could I refuse how could I refuse I like little gadgets like that admittedly you know it won't put gas in the car but hey you know I like that sort of thing. So let me tell you a little little quick story. Back in the early days of AOL, AOL, you could post files on AOL for other people to download. And one day, I got the wild idea. This is, I don't even know when this was. This was probably in the late 80s. 89, maybe? I don't know. I can't remember. But it was it was in the early days of AOL, and there really wasn't the World Wide Web yet. And everybody was doing America Online or Prodigy or, forget the other one, CompuServe. And you couldn't even really interact among each other. And then later you could email from AOL over to CompuServe and that kind of thing. But they had this little file-sharing place where you could... You could make a little game program, or you could make a spreadsheet, or whatever. Whatever file you wanted to share with the rest of the world, and you could put it up there. And shareware was a big thing back then. And it's very similar to the podcasting um, economic model that I see and hear on every podcast. Every podcaster is begging for support. You put it out. And you just hope somebody will maybe maybe send you something. That's the way shareware worked. People would write programs, and then they would put this little game up. And, and when you downloaded it, it would say, if you like this program, send $5 to blah, 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 blah. It obviously didn't work. If, if, if shareware was so successful, we would be living in a shareware world. That failed. Now you pay for software. Uh, you know, you go on and you buy an app, 99 cents, get the app. The shareware model didn't work because, frankly, most people are just don't get off their butts and, and actually send it in. They love the program, but, the, you know, the five bucks is the part they have a problem tearing their self away from that five bucks unless it's to buy a Starbucks coffee and a bagel or something. So, anyway, back in those days, I acquired a program on my Mac and I was doing graphics on the Mac and stuff for a living during my day job. And I got this program called Fontographer. And essentially you could design your own fonts and then export them at the end of the process as a TTF font or a whatever. There were, there were true type. There were several different postscript. There were several different font formats back then. And there still are. And I decided to do a font of Egyptian hieroglyphics because I had this book 
I don't know if I got it at Goodwill or bought it at a, like visiting a museum or something, a little book that explained the basics of the, um, you know, the Egyptian hieroglyphic language or, you know, characters and so on. And I sat down and started working and produced a, an Egyptian hieroglyphic font. I don't know really why I did this. Mostly just, I guess, to test the program out and see if I could make a font, you know. And I didn't know of any Egyptian hieroglyphic fonts. So I made this Egyptian hieroglyphic font. And I think I saved it as a postscript and a, and a uh, TTF font with true type. And now what? Well, I'll just, I'll put it up on AOL in this little file sharing thing. Maybe somebody might want to buy my font, you know, send me $2 or something. And then I thought, two bucks ain't going to make or break me one way or the other. Let me just put it up there. And instead, I'm going to put a readme file with it. And I put a little readme that says, I hope you enjoy this Egyptian hieroglyphic font that I created. And if you like it, and if you find it useful to you in any way, rather than you send me some money, I would like you to send me something, some object, like maybe an arrowhead, or a little rock that you found, or a piece of wood, something that's, you know, that you found in your area of the world. And then I, I made a little list. I said, whatever you do, don't send me items of clothing, especially worn, no live animals, no uh, perishable like meat. I don't, don't send me meat in the mail, things like that. And I kind of made this humorous little thing. I said, but if you like the font, you know, frankly, you know, if you gave me two bucks or five bucks or whatever for this font, it wouldn't mean as much to me as as if you just pick some little thing out and put it in an envelope and send it to me and I put my address. Uh, and if you ever find that somewhere in the bowels of the Internet archives, it may still be up there. I don't live at that address anymore. So if it says Griffin, Georgia, that don't send stuff there. There's probably somebody living at that house now that occasionally gets a weird package with some strange thing in it, like a pine cone or a you know, an Indian bead or something, you know, a bone fish hook. You never know, an atlatl weight. And I, I tossed out this list of suggestions and I forgot all about it. And then I went on there about a year later and I realized they would show you how many times it had been downloaded. Well, my Egyptian font had been downloaded 800 and something times. Over 800 times people had downloaded my font. Oh my Wow. And in a year, I haven't even received anything. Not, not even like an old, you know, pull tab off a beer can. Nothing. I haven't received anything. It was telling me about the shareware principle. It doesn't really work. People have good intentions. They just don't follow through. Anyway, so about six months later, I'm hanging around down in at the the... I don't know. I think I was at the five spot in Little Five Points. And they have a they have a rag in Atlanta that's like the Entertainment Weekly, you know, and it's <laughs> if you want to know what's going on in the club scene and, you know, events and all that kind of stuff, you pick up a thing called Creative Loafing, and I think they're in multiple cities. 
Creative Loafing. I'm flipping through Creative Loafing, just looking at what's going on. Bam! Right there in an ad, and I don't remember the ad. I do have, I did cut it out and save it. It's somewhere. Is my Egyptian hieroglyphics font. It's, it's there. <laughs> I don't know what it said, because it's a little hard to read, but... There's my font. I swear to God, that is my font. So somebody at Creative Loafing or somebody who created an ad for Creative Loafing had my font. And dadgummit, they never sent me any stuff. They never sent me something. Well, another six months goes by. And one day, I'm going out to the mailbox, open the mailbox, pull out the bills and the junk mail, and there's a little letter in there. And this little letter... Obviously written in a child's handwriting. Very third, fourth grade looking. Address to Brad Laird. And my address, Griffin, Georgia. And it was kind of thick. So I open it up. And on that three, you know, that blue lined notebook paper with the three holes and the little red line going down the left margin. Is a letter. Thanking me for my Egyptian hieroglyphic font. And I think they described a school project. The person, it was a girl, and she just um, described a school project or report or something that she had used the font for. And she was enclosing something for me. And as I unfold the thing, inside was just you know, one of those little polished stones, like if you have a rock tumbler and you, you can throw rocks in there and then let it sit there and spin for six weeks and change the grit. And it's this slurry of water. It's this little, you know what a rock tumbler is. And, and the stones that come out are just polished and shiny and beautiful. And there was one little stone in there. It was sort of a tiger eye, kind of a brown and yellow, really glossy, about a half an inch long, nothing, you know. And I put that thing in a place of honor. That will be in the Brad Laird Museum, right next to my lint ball collection, which one day I'll tell you about my lint balls. I do have the world's finest collection of perfectly spherical lint balls, and I'll tell you where I got those. But anyway, you see, that little girl, she got it. She realized that she got something, and she was then under some little small obligation. It cost her one stone, a letter, and a stamp. But she did it. She ranks very high in my book. Well, Drew, Drew with the string winder and the McClung armrest, which I've never used an armrest. My arm does rest on the mandolin. And I sent him an email, and I said, you know what? Send it. I would appreciate that. I'm not going to stop the guy from sending me. He, he wants to send it to me. I'm going to say yes. Why not? Why rain on his parade? That's that a great idea. What a cool thing. Who would appreciate it more than Brad Laird? You know? And I do. And I got the package. I was like a kid at Christmas. I opened that package up. First of all, it's very touching that someone would do that. It's it just somebody like that little girl with her little polished stone 
Somebody took the time. Now, this is not meant to be construed as some sort of begging, you know, like I'm doing neuro-linguistic programming on you to try to get you to send me a donation or something. It's not really what I'm trying to do. I just want you to think back about the things that people have done for you. Little, small, somewhat sometimes meaningless things that people have done for you. And you know what? On the receiving end, sometimes those things are never forgotten. I'll never forget that little email. I mean, that little letter that I got from that girl. I don't remember her name. I do have the letter stashed away somewhere. that carries over you know when 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 that sort of gesture is made from one human being to another then you are filled with a, a sense of feeling like well maybe you should do something similar for some other random person you know and not just random people people that people that help you out people that help you out you know they deserve you know walk the guy's playing the guitar on the, on the street corner, got his case out there. You walk by and you chunk a little money in. That's, you know, a lot of people do it, I think, out of the sense of obligation, which, you know, hey, that pays the bills too. But if you're standing out there and you're listening to that guy playing his claw hammer banjo tune and you're really liking it, chunk a little money in his bucket. I mean, come on. Don't be such a tightwad. Because you can't take it with you. And, you know, whatever the IRS doesn't get on April 15th, there ain't much left after that. So, all right, enough about that. Thanks, Drew. I do want to say that I've never used a McClung armrest, but I put it on my flat iron and I tried playing with it for a while and it felt really weird. I was like, something's under my arm that's not normally there, but I'm going to give it a fair shake. I'm going to give it about a month. I'm just going to see. Maybe it is comfortable. I will say it's comfortable. And it's beautifully made. Uh, you know, big. Uh, let, let me just make a plug for McClung armrests. Man, they are nice. So, and that's, nobody paid me to say that. Except Drew. Drew sent me one. And the little peg winder, Frank Ford, made that. Just Google Frank Ford. And the guy has put so much stuff on the internet. I mean, this guy is just putting out the information. And I've never met the guy, but I have a feeling he and I would probably have a lot to talk about. But I was very impressed with this little peg winder. Clearly, beautifully engineered and made. And I was extremely impressed by the fact that the little shaft on it is stamped Frank Ford. Stamped, bam, with a little, you know, punch. He had to get him a little punch made with his name on it so he could stamp it. That's going the extra mile. It's cool. It's brass. It's wood. Got a little bearing in it. And even the handle. I was looking at him like the handle's bent. Then I'm like, wait a minute. The handle is, I think the handle has been intentionally tilted at about five degrees. So it's easier to turn. And sure enough, I put that thing on. I just, I had a mantle with no strings on it. The guy's got it. He understands how the wrist moves. That thing is a work of art. And a very functional 
accessory item, which I've never owned one. I've had one with plastic ones and lost it, but it was too big and it would just bump the other tuners and just a piece of junk. Anyway, this is my thank you to Drew. Drew, very creative and very much appreciated. Both of those items will be in the Brad Laird Museum right alongside that little polished stone. You know what? I think I'm just going to close it out here. I was going to get to some more me- emails. I almost said me-mails. They kind of are me-mails. But, but honest, honestly, I got a ton of grass needs mowing. Spring has hit in full force. It's been raining about every third or fourth day, and the grass is just over. I mean, I've already mowed the front pasture twice. I can't stay ahead of it. So I think what I'm going to do is just let y'all just chill for a week. I'll get back to these questions next time and do a full-blown episode. Y'all start thinking about the Bluegrass Festival season. It is that time of year. Get off your couch. Get out there and pick. Go pick. That's. And I'm going to go. Um, I've got a Bluegrass Festival I'm planning to go to again. If you, if you go back and listen to Picker's Paradise, that episode... I'm going to go down to that one. I don't know what I'm going to do down there. Just hang out and pick, I guess. That's what I tend to do at a bluegrass festival. Y'all plan a festival. It doesn't have to be a big, giant festival. Go support these little guys, too. Take your instrument. Hang out. Pick. This is what it's all about. You can't do that sitting on your couch or playing with those wonderful jam tracks. I mean, they are good. They do help you get better, but... Go out there and play with those wonderful people. And while you're doing that, at least for the next two days, I'll be here mowing.